emphasizes all the more the importance of us teaching our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, right, um, that God is their source. And, um, and we can thrive uh, no matter the situation around us. Amen? Amen. Praise God. I'll tell you what, let's, for a few minutes, Matthew chapter 14 tonight, Matthew 14 and um, in verse 28, Matthew 14 and 28. It says, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Then, So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. One more time, he walked on the water. So Peter walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? So I think this is part four um, uh, under a series entitled, Why Did You Doubt? Why Did You Doubt? And there's something about that question, even as many times as I've read it, as many times as I've meditated on it and and even said it out loud to myself, just saying it again to you tonight, um, I really feel like the Holy Spirit's breathing on that question. Why? Why did you doubt? Okay, and we've already covered a lot of ground as far as you know what's implied in that question. Um, and, and one of the key things is when Jesus asked him why he did it, um, he's implying that it was not necessary, that it was not uh, inevitable, uh, that um, it, that in other words, um, if somebody asks you why you did something. Um, if there was only one way to do it, if there was no other options, then there would have not been the question. So when Jesus asked him, why did you doubt? Now, I'm going to jump ahead in my notes, um, but I think we could also rephrase the question, um, not because I'm trying to change what Jesus said, but because I'm trying to get you to understand why did you doubt in a, different, in a better light, okay? So because of what doubt did to Peter's faith that was enabling him to walk on the water, um, Jesus, I believe, could have just as well asked him or it would have been synonymous for Jesus to have asked him, why did you stop believing? Why did you stop believing? Now, one of the things that we looked at last week was we said that this particular miracle um, has been preserved and recorded for us because it provides a real-time practical demonstration of faith producing and sustaining a result. Of faith producing and sustaining a result. And, and it's, it's, it's right there. It, when I say a, a real-time, in other words, it's, this is, um, you know, we're getting a blow-by-blow, play-by-play here of, of what's happening. And, and, and it's demonstrating uh, a practical demonstration of faith producing and sustaining a result. And we know that as long as Peter was in faith, it produced and sustained the result of him being able to walk on water. But we also have a real-time practical demonstration of what happens to the results that faith was producing when doubt entered into Peter's heart. um, And that doubt began to cause the faith that was holding him up um, to weaken under his feet, uh, literally causing him... To sink. Now, of course, we know that he cried out to Jesus. Um, Jesus took hold of him. 
although the Bible doesn't say this, I don't believe Jesus carried him back to the boat. I believe they walked together back to the boat. But either way, Peter winds up safely in the boat. Now, praise God. Um, I've got a whole bunch of notes, and then I've even got more notes printed out here. But let me try, uh, just in the time that we have remaining, um, to focus on a few things. And I want to I try to uh, honor what I said last week. Because sometimes I tell you at the end of a sermon, next week we're going to do this. Uh, and then a whole week passes and more notes develop and, I, and we never get back to where we were on that uh, on last week. So we were answering some questions leading up to the main question um, that Jesus asked Peter, why did you doubt? Okay, And what we learn from this is that doubt does, does not have to be inevitable. In other words, we will have opportunities to doubt, but we can refuse those opportunities. Um, we've said that doubt does not come without assistance. And what we mean by that is that there's a very real enemy who's trying to uh, uh, work in our minds to uh, produce doubt um, in our hearts. We said that doubt is to faith what kryptonite is to um, Superman. Believing with no doubting will move mountains in your life, but the man who doubts, and I'm just taking excerpts from Scripture here, but the man who doubts, the Bible says, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Now, in the course of our study over the last few weeks, we've answered a few questions, so I'm just going to real quickly review those. Um, the first thing that we asked is, um, is, what is doubt? And we said that doubt means wavering to go back and forth between two positions. Now, this point right here is one that we, we may not get to tonight, but we'll, if not, we'll develop it more. Uh, I'm not going to say next week, but in the days ahead, praise God. Um, this idea of the two positions um, going back and forth between them. This is something that I guess it was maybe week before last that the Lord began to show me from this story. From this, his, when I say story, it's not made up. It's a, it's a real account. This really happened. Um, from this account of Peter walking on the water. And that is that Peter obviously had enough faith to walk on water. Okay? And, and we know that because he did. In other words, it's not theory. You follow what I'm saying? Um, would anybody believe Peter had enough faith to walk on water if he had not actually walked on water? I mean, I, again, I'm not trying to, you know, ask silly questions tonight. I'm just, you know, how we know for sure that he had enough faith to walk on water was that he walked on the water, Okay. And we also know that after having walked on the water for some distance, we don't know how far, that he then began to doubt, and when he began to doubt, he began to sink. So the faith that was producing the result in his life began to, to disintegrate, if you will, under his feet. Now, the thought then is, where did the faith go that was supporting Peter as he walked on the water. And I believe, and, and again, I'll, I'll talk some more about this in greater detail in the days ahead, but just to introduce it tonight and to plant this thought as we, as we discuss these things, 
I want you to consider for a moment that the faith that was in Peter's heart did not evaporate. It, it, it didn't like leave him because, first of all, where did he get the faith that he used to, 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 to walk on the water? The Bible says that God gave him the measure of faith, just like he's given to you the measure of faith, just like he's given to me the measure of faith. So when Peter began to sink, it wasn't that the faith that was holding him up and producing the result in his life vanished, left him. It's that doubt overrode it. It's, it's that doubt came, came in and weakened it. Doubt came in and contaminated it. So if we go back to this definition, doubt means to waver or to vacillate between two positions. Okay? It wasn't that Peter lost his position of faith. It's that his position of faith was weakened when he allowed the doubt to, to enter his heart. Are you following what I'm saying here? Let me, I, I maybe should have just left this alone, but it's, it's, it's what's kind of at the top of my heart tonight. And sometimes that's, I've learned over the years that that's the best thing to talk about, okay? So let me just go a little deeper with this. And I'll show you these verses later. But the Bible talks about Jesus even explained to us that the Word of God, which is living and powerful, um, created the universe. I mean, when we talk about the power that resides within the Word of God, we have to understand the very power of God itself to understand the power that, that's in the Word of God. He sent His Word and healed them, right? I mean, the, 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 the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Yet Jesus said to a group of people that they had rendered the Word of God powerless and ineffective in their lives because of their traditions. Now, you, you think, well, how can the Word of God be so powerful and yet have no power uh, in, in that group of people's lives? It wasn't that the Word of God had lost its power. It's that their traditions had overruled that. It's... it's they, in other words, it had, it had canceled it out. Let, let, let me go one more step, okay? When somebody gets in an airplane and, and is, is, is flying in that airplane, okay, um, they haven't found a switch to turn off gravity. Gravity is still applies to that person. It's just that they're now operating in, in, a, in another set of laws that are enabling them to overcome gravity. They're able to, <coughs> excuse me, they're able to cancel it out. Are you understand what I'm saying? Not, they don't do, do away with gravity. The gravity is still present. It's just they have figured out a way to overcome the effect gravity has on everything and everybody else. Are you following me? So when Peter began to sink, it's not that he lost his faith. It's the faith that had always been present in him now was being overridden by doubt. Therefore, when we say doubt is wavering or vacillating between two positions, okay, it's, I'm sure it started with him like it starts with you and me. And remember, it's, it's much more fun to talk about his doubt than our own. But, you know, he began to consider for a moment... But, but then I'm sure he went back to the faith. 
You know, so, in other words, it's like, man, what am I doing? This, no, no, look, I'm doing it. And, but this, this war begins to take place in his mind as he goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between these two positions. And what's happening, every time he goes back and forth, the fate that's holding him up becomes a little weaker and a little weaker and a little weaker until the next thing you know, he's sinking. Now, notice what happened when he began to sink right? Now it's like the switch is thrown over to the, I can't do this, what was ever thinking getting out of that boat in the first place. But the doubt that enabled, I'm sorry, the faith, let me say it again, the faith that enabled him to walk on that water, it was in his heart before he got out of the boat. It was in his heart when he was walking on the water. It was in his heart when he was sinking. The faith, the measure of faith that enabled him to do what he was doing never left him because the gifts of of God are without repentance. When God gives you something, he never takes it away. See, for so many people, for so many people in our world today, the faith that they need to overcome the situations and obstacles in their life, um, they already have it. And, 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 and we look at all these questions that people asked about faith and, 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 you know, they even talked about increase our faith. And Jesus said to that question, to that request, he said, if you have faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you can say to, a, to a, a tree, be plucked up from the roots. You can say to a mountain, be removed and be cast over in, into the sea and it will obey you. Okay? So th- when we talk about the measure of faith, you know, faith is one of the most powerful substances on, that exist on planet earth. And it's inside of you. The measure of faith. There is a measure of faith. There is a portion of faith. There, there is a serving of faith inside of you. And, it, and it's inside of Peter. It was inside of Peter. And that was what Peter tapped into when he walked on that water. And as long as, as long as he was locked in on that faith, he walked on the water. But it was when he allowed that faith that was still in his heart to become contaminated, now a force that's weakening his, his faith, right, is what's causing him to sink beneath the surface. Does that make sense? Okay, praise God. Now, We've, we've looked at what doubt is. We said a simple definition of faith is fully persuaded. So anything less than fully persuaded equals doubt. Then we answer the question, where did Peter doubt? And we see that doubt takes place in the heart, the same place faith operates from. Um, the Bible says, with the, with the heart man believes. That's Romans 10.10. And Jesus said, if you believe and do not doubt in your heart. So when we try to zero in on where Peter's doubt was was taking place, it was taking place in his heart. Okay? And so then we ask the question, how did the doubt get into Peter's heart? And we said that doubt in the heart always enters through the mind. If you never learn to manage your thoughts, you'll never keep doubt out of your heart. And from there we looked at 2 Corinthians 10. I'm not going to reread um, all of those verses. But in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, the Bible explains to you and me a responsibility that we have. It's similar to what we find in Proverbs 4 in the Old Testament where we're instructed to guard our heart, to keep it with all diligence. And the New Testament version of that says that we're to cast down any thought any argument, any imagination that would try to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. 
Now, if one thing is trying to exalt itself against another, this comes back to that simple expression we've used a few times already tonight, and that's this idea of overriding. Okay, So when he says to, uh, to any thought that would try to exalt itself against the knowledge of God, he's talking about a thought that would come into your mind that the enemy's trying to get into your heart that would, that would rise up against and override what you have learned from God, what you know from the Word of God, what you know to be true. Now, if we take this same uh, line of thinking... And, and use it as a template to go back to Peter's situation, then we know what happened to him. We know that thoughts entered his mind. That's how doubt got into his heart. We know that arguments, and, and then the, the, the word is translated two different ways. In the New King James, it's translated arguments. In the King James Version, it's translated imaginations. And, and, and you say, which one is it? It's both. It's arguments in the form of imaginations. In other words, this is when he began to picture himself sinking. He began, it wasn't just that he had the thought, the thought became an argument. Now, remember one of the definitions of doubt is to be in strife with oneself. So I don't, I don't know how long, it's not like I've got a stopwatch and we can time it, okay, because I believe it can be different in, 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 in different situations, but the unique thing about this situation is it's being played out right in front of us. In other words, you can chart it, right? In faith, in faith, in faith. How do we know? He's walking on water, he's walking on water, he's walking on water. And now we see him begin to waver. Are, are you with me? You know, it's kind of like, you know, teaching my kids how to ride a bike. You know, they're doing good, doing good, and then all of a sudden they start to wobble, you know? One time I went off a way too big of a hill on a skateboard, and, and now all of a sudden you're doing good until you get to a certain speed and that skateboard starts doing this, right? And you've got to decide, are you going to hang on or are you going to bail off, right? And so it's like he was doing really good like that and all of a sudden it, it started to waver. It's, it, you know, he, he's losing it, he's losing it, right? Well, what's happening internally? We're seeing how it's playing out externally. We're seeing you know, him begin to sink in the water. But what we really need to, to understand is what's going in, on in his heart because what's going on in his heart is what's causing the faith to disintegrate underneath his feet. And so how do we know what's going on in his heart? The Word of God. The Word of God is telling us that it's thoughts and, 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 and those thoughts become arguments. So he, he, he's now having this, this internal conflict that I believe develops into an imagination Remember, the image that he began with was one of Jesus walking on the water. And as long as he was focused on Jesus walking on the water, it inspired his faith to do the same. But notice when he saw the wind boisterous, now he's got another set, another data set, if you will. He doesn't just have Jesus walking on the water. Now there's something coming in conflict with Jesus walking on the water. And that's what's going on around him. Okay, are you seeing this? So the, the doubt got into Peter's heart through the thoughts that became an argument that I believe developed into an imagination. Arguments in the form of imaginations. Okay? Now, remember, there are doubts. I'm, I'm sorry. There are demonic forces behind these thoughts, behind these arguments, behind these imaginations. And what does the Scriptures instruct us to do? To cast them down. We, we can't play with these things. 
If, if you don't take them captive, they will take you captive. So casting down, rejecting, refusing altogether thoughts, arguments, and imaginations that try to rise above and override the truth in our hearts are among the most important instructions and are among the most important skills we could ever develop. My brother, my sister, please hear me. This is a skill that you can practice and you can get better at. Amen. Are you hearing me? Just like what we've been talking about on Sundays we can begin to identify the wrong responses in our lives and we can begin to pre-plan and practice correct responses. And we can get really good at responding. Even if we've been really bad at responding, we can get really good at it. And this is another one of those, it's our, listen, I cannot do it for you. You cannot do it for me. We can encourage one another. We can speak life into one another. We can share the word of God with one another. But when it comes right down to it, are you hearing me? You have to cast down. You have to guard your own heart. And when the enemy tries to bring thoughts and arguments and imaginations in that would try to override your faith and the Word of God and what God is showing you and what God is producing in your life, it is your... He'll, the Lord will help you, but He cannot do it without your, uh, your involvement. Are you hearing me? And so again... This is a skill. I know it's a, a, a long, probably run-on sentence that my English teacher would, um, you know, shriek at, but I'm going to give it to you one more time. Casting down, rejecting, refusing altogether thoughts, arguments, and imaginations that try to rise above and override the truth in our hearts are among the most important instructions and among the most important skills we could ever develop most important instructions we could ever hear most important skills we could ever develop and i'm gonna i'm just gonna challenge you tonight don't wait until it's something big in your life don't don't wait until there's a lot on the line don't wait until you've received some you know devastating diagnosis to, to start trying to develop this skill of keeping the thoughts, arguments, and imaginations out of your heart. You need to start now. You need to cast down thoughts, uh, you know, self-condemning thoughts. Man, it's, we talked about this on Sunday. So many people, they, you know, they get caught up in just wallowing in their own misery, wallowing in their own shame, wallowing in their own guilt, you know, speaking down to themselves, you know, punishing themselves with their words and, and, and these kinds of things. My friend, the enemy is feeding those thoughts, arguments, and imaginations into your mind. And they're overriding the knowledge of God. The Word of God says you're free. The Word of God says you're righteous. The Word of God says you're healed. The Word of God says you're prosperous. And, and we cannot entertain thoughts from the enemy, arguments from the enemy, imaginations from the enemy that override what we know to be true from the Word of God in our lives. And so, but again, we can lay down and take it or, or we can begin to push back. We can begin to call the enemy on it. We can begin to read what our Father has already said about these things to Him. And again, this is how we take those thoughts captive. Okay, so when did Peter doubt? Peter doubted and began to sink when he shifted his focus away from the word, away from Jesus, and onto the storm raging around him. All right. Peter doubted and began to sink when he gave place to the argument that it's impossible to walk on water. 
And as we said last week, the devil will tell you it's impossible to do something while you're currently doing it. How many times has the devil told people, you can't stay sober? Oh, well, I'm, so, I'm sober now. If I'm sober now, I can be sober tomorrow. Right? But notice, he will tell you you can't do something while you're doing it. And we believe him. Not anymore. Amen? Not anymore. So this brings us um, to the final question. Why did Peter doubt? That's what Jesus asked him, right? Why did you doubt? I hope this isn't anticlimactic for you, okay? But I believe Peter doubted because he chose to. That's the truth, right? I mean, that's just the that's just the, the bottom line truth. If he did, if he did not have a choice, if doubt was inevitable, if doubt was unavoidable, if doubt was in the cards for him, and and no matter what he did, he was going to doubt, and when he doubted, he was going to sink. Jesus would have never asked him the question. He asked him why he did because he didn't have to. Which means if he did and didn't have to, he chose to. He chose to. A legitimate why question implies the person had a choice to do something other than what they actually did. Jesus would have never asked Peter why he doubted if Peter could have chosen something different. Peter doubted because he allowed thoughts in his hearts that contaminated his faith. Peter doubted because he judged the threat around him to be greater than than the promise made to him. Remember, he says, Lord, if that's you, command me to come to you on the water. It wasn't that he just... Now listen, I, I believe, and, and not just because I want to believe it, because it's based on other things in, in, the, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament for that matter, I believe Peter could have said, hmm, Jesus walking on the water? I think I'm going to walk on the water. In other words, I don't believe he had to say, Jesus, if that's you, command me to come to you. That was Peter trying to deal with, you know, the last little bit of doubt that was keeping him in the boat. And when Jesus said, come, he's like, man, here we go, right? Okay? So he, in other words... When Jesus said those word, that word to him, come, notice now, he's got Jesus' word on it. He's got, got Jesus' word on it. A personal word to him, come. So the doubt equaled Peter making a judgment. Back to the, the argument. When we say he judged the threat, he determined the threat based on an, on an argument within himself that the threat around him was greater than the promise made to him. Now, I, again, I'm not, I like to end the sermon on a happy note, so I'm not trying to end this on a, on a harsh tone tonight. But, you know, we see that Jesus dealt with doubt, especially in people that were close to him, he, he dealt with doubt like the poison that it is. Are, are you understand what I'm saying? In other words, if, um, 
you know, if, if somebody's eating a third donut and they probably, you know, don't need three donuts, then um, you, know, you might say, hey, you know, they save some for tomorrow, you know, or something like that, you know, okay. But um, if, if somebody's about to eat some three-week-old mashed potatoes, you know, that have been sitting on the counter, hadn't even, I mean, like you set them out of the fridge to throw them away, you know. Well, you're going to respond a little differently if, you know, somebody gets a big old spoonful of those and starts saying, wow, no, right? You know, and I'm, I'm, I guess, being a little silly tonight, but I'm trying to make the point, you know, um, if you want to really understand how potentially deadly, how poisonous, how harmful doubt is, just look at how Jesus dealt with it. You know, when it comes to the people that, that, that he, you know, obviously he loves everybody, but, you know, there were some folks that gave him place in their lives that other people didn't, didn't give him. And, um, and, the, and this is a classic example, you know, with Peter. Um, you know, you, you maybe look for Jesus to give him a gold star or something, and instead Jesus is like, man, why did you doubt? You know? Um, because he's, and, and again, Peter, thank you, you know, for this, because in the process, he's teaching all of us some very important things about how all this works. And, and this is, my friend, how it works. Amen. All right, stand with me tonight. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let me let me tell you where we're going to be, and I believe we're going to be there next week. I want to I want to try to show you that the same faith Peter used to walk on water, it was the same faith that Jesus used. In other words, Jesus was walking on water by faith. You say he was Jesus? No, he was a man. He was Jesus, but he became a man. So Jesus is a human being walking on water. How's he doing it? He's doing it the same way Peter did. He do, Jesus is doing it by faith. But Jesus never, never doubted, right? Jesus walked all the way. Okay. Now, what if I was to show you in the Word of God that the same measure of faith that Jesus used to walk on water, the same measure of faith that Peter used to walk on water, is the same measure of faith that every person in this room has on board with you tonight? Amen. It's no different. Praise God. All right. Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for helping us, Lord. Thank you for showing us. Thank you for teaching us. Father, help us see. And, and, and Lord, our, our enemy has been deceiving human beings for thousands and thousands of years. And, 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 and Lord, sometimes he, he tricks us and we don't even know he's tricking us. Lord, sometimes he, he tells us things and, and we don't even realize it's him, it's him talking. We, we think it was our own genius that that came up with these great ideas and, and yet it's, it's the enemy who's, who's trying to influence our lives and manipulate our lives by influencing our thoughts. Sometimes, Father, these arguments that we have within ourselves, Lord, it's, it's somebody besides us at the table, Lord. Help us see that. Help us recognize that. And more importantly, Father, help, help us begin to push back against those things. To not allow the thoughts and the arguments and the imaginations from the enemy to contaminate and override the measure of faith that we have in our hearts. 
Lord, once again, we just lift up those in our family of faith who are recovering tonight. And we thank you, Father, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Father, we humble ourselves before you because we know that you give grace to the humble. And we thank you, Lord, tonight that your word is working. It's alive, it's active, it's powerful, and it's producing results. Faith in you and your word is producing results in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Tell somebody in the room around you good things coming. Know that you're loved. Know that we love you. Praise God.